Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 77 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. I'll let you in on a little secret before we get started and I introduce my guest here. Seven used to be my lucky number for many years of my life. I recently changed it last year to the number three and that started working pretty well for me. But my guest, Asan Esme, we have been back and forth on this episode for a while. We had to reschedule and reschedule both two people with pretty busy schedules. And Asan wanted to be number seven because that's his lucky number. And it was funny how it played out yesterday because uh, we were speaking and, and the guest before had to reschedule, you know, as, as a lot of people have to, you know, everyone's got busy lives. And Sam was set up to be 78. He wanted to be 70, he wanted to be 17. And then, and then he wrote down, he said, oh, well, look, if I can't be seven, I'll be 77. And it just so happens that that is exactly what has happened here. Um, welcome to the show, Asan. Number 77. Awesome, Jake. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's good to have you here, and it's good to get those um, those lucky numbers in for you, which I think is just going to help us create a fantastic episode here. Now, Asan, I'm going to give you a short introduction. Of course, you are better to introduce yourself than I am because you know you better than I know you. But Asan is an insurance and business consultant, a motivational speaker, and a real estate professional. Today, we're going to be discussing the importance of having the right insurance in place, not only for yourself personally, perhaps for your property, but of course for your business. And we're going to be giving you some advice for people that are looking to start out in new business. As I just said, and as you can see, Assam has a lot going on there. You know, he's into insurance, he's into business consultancy, he's a real estate professional, and I know that he's just added speaking to his repertoire, and that's something new that he's pursuing. So, welcome to the show. Hassan, and uh, yeah, please tell us a bit more about yourself and how you became to do so many things at the same time. Thank you, Jay. Well, this all started back when previously, before my business, I was a technician with one of the larger telephone companies here in the States. You know, while doing that for several years, you know, most of the clients they kept saying to me, you have a natural knack of solving problems. And they kept asking me, you know, why wouldn't you open your own business? Over the years, after being bombarded several times with it, you know, I said, you know what, might as well. It comes naturally, might as well I, I, I get it started. So that's really where it all started. But I wanted to be effective at doing it. I didn't want to start just a random business to say I have a business or I'm a business owner. I wanted to do something that would give back as well as help new businesses that face certain challenges, getting into the market and stuff like that. So that's why I decided to do insurance, to say the least. Now, from then I started just regular life insurance because I had the whole concept of trying to protect, you know, someone or life per se. And over the years, I decided to go further into it where I'm actually licensed. I have four licenses. So I do all lines of insurance now. So property and casualty is one of my, my bigger lines of insurance. So I deal with anything pertaining to business startups in terms of general liability, you know, malpractice insurance, things like that. And I basically branched off from there. 
yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then, let's, I mean, let's talk about insurance because obviously everyone knows how important how important insurance is, and there's many different types of insurance. But insurance for business is something that people don't always think about. And you know, as you know, son, you've started many businesses, and people who are watching this may have their own business, or they might be thinking about starting. And when you start a business, there's a huge list of things you have to get sorted. You know. Yeah. Obviously, the essential things like a bank account, a website, the social media aspects, which are obviously crucial these days. You know, who's going to be doing the marketing? Who's going to be doing the finances? Who's going to be actually running the business? And in the start of it, all of those things are probably you. But I think one thing that a lot of people perhaps put on the back burner with their business sometimes is insurance. And they don't put that at the forefront of what they do. And actually, if they don't do that, then and something happens, which of course, you know, things can always happen, that could really massively affect their business if they if they have to front up the cash for any any problems and contingencies when they come up. Yes, 100% correct. I mean, what I tell a lot of business owners, starting off, it's not just starting and, and owning your own business. First, you have to make a decision of what you want to do as a business owner and then find the necessary insurance that goes along with that. So say, for instance, I have a client now that's in Miami that does construction, large buildings, you know, million-dollar projects. When he was starting off, he was new to the whole construction field. And I did a discovery session with him, sat down, figured out exactly what lines, because there are different sections of constructions and stuff like that if he was gonna employ workers or he was just gonna do it on a consultant basis, you know, stuff like that. And I went through everything step by step, found the appropriate insurance product to say general liability. He was gonna get trucks. I got commercial auto coverage for him as well. So there are so many different intricate sections that insurance is needed in a business and it can make you or break you. So say, for instance, a doctor not having malpractice insurance or a tax company not having E&O, Arizona emissions coverage, you know, one lawsuit can, you know, basically break your company. So a lot of this is tied in and you have to get professional help when it comes on to insurance. So I try to help as many clients get on track and focus and find the right product for it. I have close to 32 different carriers that I use for different types of products, different types of companies. If it's a cleaning company, if it's just a handyman company, you know, there's different, different lines of liability that's needed to cover these exposure. So I do that and, and, and I love it. I, I really love it. I never thought I'd actually be in that field coming from a technical background and now being in the lines of insurance, but who knows, it's life. You just have to you know, help as many people as you can, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's a great way. I mean, it's something I share with you, you know, I, I love helping people and I think a lot of people help find that they get a lot out of helping others, you know, it refreshes your energy, it replenishes your batteries. And it's mm -hmm. interesting that you've just found a way to do that. You were already in business and, and you found that insurance was something that people needed. It was a must, you know, and you applied yourself to it and now, that's your way of helping people. It's not certainly not the road that most people would think to go down when thinking of helping others, but uh, it's something different. And 
I can tell you, I had to get some insurance for one of my businesses, and it was public liability insurance for a product mm -hmm. that I was selling, and it was just in case anyone got injured using that product. I found it incredibly difficult here in Australia to find that particular insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to go around so many different places, and they, it, places told me they sold it, but then when I rang them up and told them about what I needed, they were like, oh, uh, no, sorry, we don't really do that. Yes. Um, do you find that happens a lot? Yes, I, I tell you what, why that is, is is over here in the States, we call it um, products and, and completed operations coverage. Now, the liability with that is after you've done the project, there's a time frame after the, the if you use products, if you use material, they don't want to stand liability if the material deteriorates or breaks down. Or say, for instance, a contractor Based on the schematics, this building is supposed to hold a certain load, you know, over a time frame, and then two years into it, there's a crack. And now, who do you go to with regards to rectifying the issue? Do you go back to the manufacturer who sold you the product, or you're going to go with the company who installed the product? So there is sort of like a gray area that sometimes it can be challenging, and a lot of carriers don't want to deal with it. Now, the bigger carriers that do, sometimes the cost of those policies are a little bit more expensive. So it comes on to the finances for the premiums you now. Mm -hmm. you know, so that's one of the things. But I'm surprised it happens down there in Australia. I mean, they have it over here. But yeah. yeah I think it's, it's not interesting the two places are so far apart, but the same industry, and you still get the same issues coming up. So yes. It's yeah. interesting. Insurance is a really, it's a really funny thing when you think about it, like that you're, particularly life insurance is a crazy one, that you're putting money into a policy on the basis that, you know, one day, you, I mean, like you are going to pass away, obviously, and then yeah. that it's weird that you're insuring your life, which there's no way that that's not going to end. It's just such a strange thing to put an insurance policy against. Um, but of course, you know, it's not for the benefit of you, it's for the benefit of your your children, your grandchildren, your beneficiaries, whoever whoever you leave it to. But it's a funny thing in that, and particularly, you know, the one thing I think about that I've purchased the most is, for me, vehicle insurance, which is probably mm -hmm. watching, you know, that's the regular one that everyone's got, perhaps home insurance as well. But it can be, like, incredibly expensive on the face of it when you look at it, you know, um, particularly if you've got a really nice car or a really big expensive house um, or you live in an area that's, possibly high crime rate you know insurance or premiums always go up in them areas yes. and people can be a bit begrudged to pay it but um i don't know if anyone's ever watching um I've, i'll be i'll be honest back in the day when i was uh, a younger man i actually got stung once for having no insurance and the price you have to pay for doing that is i can tell you it's always more expensive <laughs> than the premium is to start with so yeah i would uh, i'm sure you'd agree with the fact that although it's uh, expensive to start with you should always definitely go for it and get it um, and not just, uh, it's not something you should skip on. No, 100%, I agree with you. I mean, mm. I try to tell clients, life happens. No one has a concrete date and time when something is going to happen. You know, there are different insurance products for individuals, uh, I would say. There's whole life insurance, there's term life insurance, and there are also IULs, which is Index Universal Life Products. Now, each one of these products, 
they serve a specific need. So say I sit and do a consult with a business owner. As long as he gets coverage for his business, the next question is, do you have any form of protection for your family? Because he's the primary breadwinner. If something should happen to him, what's going to happen to the family? So at that point, I'll see based on you know his finances, where he is, I'd structure maybe a term life policy to say term goes for a certain time frame. You could schedule 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and that product would protect you for that time frame. If, say, he wants to do investments, I would structure maybe an index universal life product. So he has partial term coverage over a certain time frame, and then a portion of his premium is being contributed towards investments. So he'll get, you know, like a cap. Right now we have, what, around about 14.9% average return or it could be an elderly person i also do final expense insurance which is a whole nother type of product so say for instance someone is not necessarily older but they never purchase any form of insurance and they want to have some money set aside just in case something happens i mean we're seeing what's going around in the world right now with covid a lot of folks didn't plan for this. Now these families have the, the the hard task of burying a loved one and being out of a job too. So where would they get the, the finances to, to cover such expense? You know, so we do a final expense product that they don't have to do a medical exam. It's a lot more affordable because you can choose based on the size policy that you want, 10,000, 15,000, and the premiums are more affordable. You know, and it's anywhere from age zero, which is a, a, a newborn, 30 days old, up to age 85. So it's a wider spread. So there's no excuse not to really have some form of coverage, so to speak. So these products are all structured for different, different reasons and for different, different times in a person's life, so to speak. But it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, so you could almost say there's a, there's almost like it's almost like there's an insurance for everything. It's just that you don't know that all of them exist, and um, they all serve a purpose, of course. And um, it's funny, do you know, I don't know how it works actually in in America, but here in Australia, you don't legally have to have vehicle insurance. It's up to you whether you want to actually actually have insurance for your vehicle. It's not a legal requirement. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and it, it wasn't like that in the UK. It was, it was, in fact, in the UK, it was a legal requirement. And that's what I said happened to me before. I actually got caught by the police driving a car that had no insurance. <laughs> and, they, and they took the car away from me. So that wasn't, um, wasn't a clever thing to do at all. But here in Australia, yeah, you don't have to have insurance. You can choose whether you do or you don't, which I find quite strange, um, really. But, I mean, it is a very relaxed place. So <laughs> maybe that's why. I don't know. <laughs> it could be over here. It's... it's they have uninsured motorist coverage. That's if you, you get in an accident and, and the person doesn't have insurance. So then a part of your policy would help to deal with the expenses associated to that accident. But every state is, is governed differently. Of course, you know, yeah. States require a certain minimum for coverage, while some, you know, based on the type of vehicle and the exposure limit, you have to carry a higher, a, a higher, a higher limit of coverage. We have stacked, so if you have more than one vehicles, you can stack them on one policy. Or if it's a family or a commercial, you know, all of that is, is structured differently. 
the beauty of it though is that you have options you know you can work around based on what you have what you need and then scale from there yeah yeah figuring out what you need and choosing the right one and that's why someone you know finds a professional like you as not one not two not three not but four licenses in in what he does you know that, that speaks volumes of course with the amount of time that you've you've done it actually how long have you been working in insurance for oh uh <laughs> that long? When, when, people, when people go oh oh honestly i'm going on i've had the license 10 years uh, okay yeah. yeah 10 years it's it's been a long one time flies you know yeah it sure does well, particularly when you're enjoying it, like you say, when you are enjoying it, you know, it's important to enjoy what you do. I really believe that, I truly believe that. You know, you spend a lot of time in your working life, and if it's something you don't enjoy, it's going to grind you down, and eventually it's going to play out into your 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 health, your relationships, you know, your personal life. It's it's going to spill over, you know. You're, you, you, it really it takes up a lot of your life, and I think it's important that if you're not enjoying what you're doing to look into something else. You know, it's not. Of course, it's not an easy transition to do, and it takes some time to decide what the other thing that you want to do is. But you know, the way that the world is now, where you can learn anything with the internet, you know, a lot of stuff you can just learn from YouTube for free. In fact, if you're really yeah. prepared to put the time and hours into it, um, and it's just about trying new things until you find something you love. Because life is long, and you have a long time to try lots of different things. But if you're not enjoying life, I think life can seem really short because it gets monotonous because you're doing the same thing again and again and and that's when you know um, life can be short and and it can pass you by and and you spend too much of it doing something that you didn't enjoy doing and, and it made you uh, uh, a miserable person to be around and no one likes being around miserable people now do they ask no you're right you're right and 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 I can definitely relate to that because I remember being a technician with with the phone company when we started it was <laughs> close to around twenty of us that started that project. And we got all the training. We went out there with them trucks, and we did our work. But gradually, the job description kept changing. So our workload was getting heavier and heavier. I mean, from climbing poles, running all the lines, to going underground, doing fiber work, mm. then going to the customer's house, rewiring the entire house, getting all their services, whether that being phone, internet, TVs, uh, troubleshooting. I mean, every day was interesting, but you just didn't know what you were going to run into. Mm. And after a time of doing it, I mean, we put in some serious hours for several years. The beauty of that is that you kept learning new things because no two house was the same. So there was always a challenge. I mean, I remember today's date, I still remember my first job that my first actual installation and project that I that <laughs> that I undertook. No one forgets the first time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was traumatizing. <laughs> I was a plumber for fifteen years. Uh, I share that. I share that vibe with you in, in construction. It can be a really. It can be a very testing job when you're going, particularly when you're inside people's houses. You know, uh, and you're they're expecting quite a lot of you. You're representing a company that has to adhere to a certain level of work, and you're just brand new into this. And uh, yeah, you're finding your way on your feet. But yeah, tell us, tell us about that first job, take us back there. Oh yes, I mean, when I walked in, ever since I was growing up, I've had my own standards. 
of how I did things. I always started off trying to make sure whatever job or, or whatever task I, I took on, I did it to the best of my ability. And walking in, even though it was my first installation, that client had no idea it was, it was my first installation. Because I Jeez, walked don't in. Tell them that. Don't never tell them that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, I sat in the truck for a while. I was wiping my face. I was a nervous wreck. And then I said, you know what? The job has to be done. There is no other way but to jump in both feet and, and, and tackle it head on. And it was nothing like training school because it was a new project. So even though it was 20 of us, all of us were new. But the company was selling the services as if they've had this for a while and it's just coming to this area. Right. So everyone kept hearing about it and wanted it. So as soon as you go in, the customers had one million questions to ask you and you have to have answers because the minute you don't have an answer, they're going to say, oh, wait up. I'm not going to allow you to rewire my whole house and you don't know or understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. But that's what I did. I jumped out. I remember knocking on the door and I went up, showed them the service order. I did my initial preliminary walk around and I was talking to the client and within 15, 20 minutes, everything sort of died down and it was real, real calm. And I can relate that feeling to even a lot of my clients starting off now their first business. Initially, when they get their first client, you know, it's, it's a little bit challenging. They don't know if they're going to say or do the right thing, and they're nervous. And I say to them, whenever you're starting a business, one of the first rules and things that I recommend is make a decision of what it is that you really want to do. The second thing is you have to be passionate about doing it. Because nine out of 10 times, it's your passion that's going to keep you going on the rough days when you mm -hmm. run into roadblocks and you're faced with a difficult client or a customer. Now, it's your passion for the business that's going to let you stay calm, figure out a solution, and move ahead and get it done. The next thing is, I'd suggest setting up goals and targets. You know, just like a, a, a ship. Or, or anything, if you don't set a destination or set up a, a goal of where you want to be as a business, whether it being a financial goal, you could say, hey, I want the company to earn X amount. It could be just how many clients you'd like to acquire on a monthly or weekly basis. But always set some form of target. It could be how many people you want to help. You know, part of why I have so many things going on is I believe in multiple streams of income, but a, a lot of people out there need help in different, different various ways. So if you're able to help different people, why not do it? You know, if it comes naturally to you, do it as well. Part of my, my, my real estate business is I only choose to help certain clients that are in need, you know, those that are faced with foreclosures, those that are going through a hard time and they can't make their mortgage payments. I intervene sometimes and I figure out how I can structure a plan that works both for them as well as, you know, everybody else in, 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 in their circle. 
So I structure everything with the notion of giving back and adding value to everyone that I come in contact with. Because it's not always about money. You know, if you get led of going after the dollar all the time, sometimes you make decisions that are not really ethical or, or works for everyone. For my business structures, I, I target and deal with only folks that I can help. It's not always about money. But no. that's the same principle. That job, that first job taught me a, a lot of things. Communication. Because you're dealing with different personalities too. And you could probably relate to this when 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 you're a plumber. Some clients you you walk in, they're pretty cool and easygoing, while you have some other clients that are very meticulous with what oh, yeah. they have done. Oh yeah. yeah. Sometimes you sometimes you I'd almost feel like saying to people, Hey, look, here's the tools. Do you want to do the job yourself? Obviously, <laughs> obviously <laughs> Now, I know you know what I'm saying that if you're in construction for a while, anyone who's watching this that's been in construction, when you've got that customer looking over your shoulder and they're like, oh, don't you think you should do it like this? And you're just like, oh, no, I don't. Do you, want to, do you want to do it yourself? Do you know? Like, it's like, obviously, you can't say that, particularly when you're, you know, when you're working for, at the time I was working for a big multinational company, Amy, one of the biggest construction contractors in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I would go to 10, 15 houses a day, and it, it plays out exactly like you said. Some people would open the door for you make you a cup of tea or coffee and they just they wouldn't even ask you any questions they'd be like yeah the the water i was changing water meters so they would be like the water meters in there somewhere and they just that'd be it you know they might even bring you a biscuit it'd be fantastic and then and then other people you would just be they'd just be like you know they wanna they want your 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 age your weight your blood type where you're from you know <laughs> beliefs they want to know everything about you at the door yeah. before you even walked in and that's fair enough you know look i i, I respect that you know that's cool like some people don't want to let random people in the house that they've never met before some people have been through experiences that didn't work out well for them and particularly with um, i always look took a lot more time um with with the elderly people you know particularly the elderly ladies who were you know a little bit unsure of perhaps what was going on sometimes when they were up there in their years and or sometimes have completely forgot that they'd even made an appointment for someone to come around but yeah you, you just it's just one percent of, of of every bunch of people you get somewhere you're going to get someone who's a bit difficult, who's possibly had a bad day, you know, who's just looking for someone to take you out on, and you might, unfortunately for you, be the first person that they've come into contact with. <laughs> yes, yes, it has happened. It yeah. happens, right? It happens. Uh, I tell you, it really built my um, people skills doing a job like that, where you go into 10, 15 houses a day, you know, in all different areas. It really built up my my communication skills, my ability to deal with different people in, in different situations. Um, because, you know, sometimes people just didn't even want you in the house, you know. Um, yeah. It was, I was, I was working on a facilities project, so it was like, it was working on their water meter inside the house now in the uk every house has one it's uh well not every house but 89 percent of houses have them so mm. you know people didn't always want you to go in the house and do it sometimes people were um fiddling with their meters turning them backwards and stuff like that to try and save the water bills and i just used to turn a blind eye to that stuff I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not interested what you're if you're trying to yeah, it, that doesn't bother me like do you know what i mean you do you I'm just here to change the meter. If you want to turn it back around when I've gone, that's up to you. It's your house. <laughs> so I think it's it's good to just get in there, do your job, and and don't get involved in any of the politics and that kind of stuff. Clean and safe.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just Particularly, you know, if you've got more than one job in a day, you don't want to get held up. Um, and I tell you what, I've got to tell this story here because it's come to mind. And this is a great story. Um, yeah. Talking about getting held up on a job, and I'd have 10 or 15 jobs in a day. I was working in Birmingham, which back in the UK, which is where I'm from. And I went to this job one day, and I just instantly got a bit of a creepy feel about this job. There's just something that didn't seem right. And uh, knocked on the door, no answer. Thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll draw up a card, post it through the door. You know, if I knock the door a couple of times, I'd just put a card through because I wasn't going to wait around while they got out of bed or whether they finished making tea or having a shower or whatever. I was just like, I'm going to move on to the next job because if you – it was a domino effect. If you were late for your current job, then you were late for your next one. You ended up getting home yes. at six o'clock at night, and you weren't yes. getting paid anymore for it. So, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to stick a note through the a card through this lady's door. And just as I was about to put the card through the door, the door opens. Right, and I, I swear this no way to be like the door opens. Literally, like creepy, creepy, like castle door opening. <laughs> and there's no one there. There's no one behind the door. And I'm like. Hello, like knocking on the door, and I'm like knocking. Didn't want to just walk in because you know you never just walk in someone's house. Mm. Um, and and then nothing really happened for a while. And then this this elderly lady poked her head around. She goes, "Oh, hello," and I explained who I was and what I was doing there. And um, it was almost like stepping back in time, going in this lady's house. It was like it was. This was in about two thousand and it would have been a seven or eight. Um, but it was like stepping back into a house from the 1940s or 50s. Everything was old. Everything was lit by candles. Wow. Um, it was just, it was just really, really bizarre and, and, and made me feel a little bit. I'll be completely honest. I felt a little bit scared, and that's a weird thing to say as a as a, a an 80 kilogram, six foot four man. But I was with a bunch of tools in his hand. But I felt a bit freaked out. What was what was going on? And anyway, what transpired was the lady, she, she let me do the job. She was friendly enough. And then she started asking me about my religious beliefs. And before I knew it, within about 15 minutes later, she had me holding her hands in the kitchen saying prayers to Jesus. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're religious and you're watching, you know, peace be with you. That's cool. But I'm, I'm not really a religious person. And that freaked me out a bit to be honest with you i was just like what is going on here how have i ended up in this situation and you're if probably, i wasn't running late i certainly am now you're probably and, uh, you're probably praying with one eye open like this i was praying with one foot out the door as well and um yeah she, she had me saying all these kind of um weird and wonderful things um about about jesus and god and i was just like can you sign the piece of paper i've got to go um and then and then she asked me, she asked me to guess her age, which I thought was a very strange question. I thought this is just getting weirder and weirder by the second here. And and I said, look, I don't really want to guess your age because, you know, it's it's not, it's just not what I should be doing here. I'm here to change the water meter. I'm not here to discuss with you about your age. And of course, the other side to that, which is, I was always taught when I was growing up, is that you never ask a woman her age or nor do you guess it. It's right. just disrespectful. Right. And, uh, Anyway, she, she persisted, and, and I, I, look, I did the right thing and went probably t 10 years lower than what I really thought. And she <laughs> said, and, and I said, like, she was, she looked like she may have been about 17, and I said, you look like you're about 16. She goes, oh, no, I'm 90-something. And I was just like, by this point, I'm just like, I want to run out the door. I'm just freaked out. The whole thing freaked me out. I left with goosebumps. 
I rang my girlfriend at the time immediately when I got in the van and told her what had happened. I was like, I've just been to this job. I just need to tell someone about it because I'm freaked out. And then I even went to the, the, the point of looking at the deeds of this house because it freaked me out that this lady said she was this certain age and it didn't seem that she could have been. And this was a weird thing, right? If this, it was either, if this lady said she was who she was or unless she had ancestors with exactly the same name and bought the house, the lady who bought the house at the year she bought it, that same lady would have been 130 years old. So I either changed a water meter for a ghost that day or just someone who was playing tricks with me. I don't know what happened, but I mean, don't be freaked out by that, guys. If you're thinking about getting into construction, go for it. You may just, if you find yourself in a facilities role and you're going through a lot of different houses in one day, you will come up against some, some weird and wonderful people out there. Trust me, I, I, I can relate to that. Just like how you said you remember yours. I remember my first job and I, I remember one of my most traumatizing <laughs> that I did. I remember walking to this house and the entire house was a bit dark. Like none of the windows were, were open. The guy that met me, he was like one of them guys that was very cool. He's like, everything's good, bro. There's a TV here, two in this room, one around there. Make yourself at home, knock it out. And then he disappears. So You there, Jake? Yeah, I got you. Sorry. But, um, you walked into the house, uh, the beauty of the internet. Sometimes we lose it, right? You walked into the house, dude told you everything was cool, left you to it. it seemed a bit shady. Yes. Yes. So I, I go in and I, I'm like, all right, I better knock this out real quick because, you know, it's kind of weird. So I go into all of the rooms. And then this last room, I remember pushing the door going in. And the door was a little bit hard to open. So I said, hello, anybody in here? I didn't hear any answer. So I went in slowly, saw where the TV and stuff were, started to analyze what I'm gonna do, and then I step out the room, and as soon as I step out the room, the dude is right there in my face, like, bro. So I'm like, is everything okay? Man, you're real lucky. So <laughs> I said, what do you mean I'm real lucky? You know, he's like, I forgot to tell you, man, Bobby's in the room. So I said, Bobby, nobody answered me when I knocked on the door. He's like, no, come let me show you Bobby. He brings me to this wall with a picture of a python that five guys had across their back. Jesus. <laughs> could have told you when you walked in. could have told me. Bobby was in the room, not in a cage or anything, just oh. in the room. Let me tell you, man, almost lost my mind. I'm like, I almost got eaten by an anaconda. Like, I remember snakes on the plane. I started to remember all those movies <laughs> that it was happening. I'm like, this could have been it for me. So I'm like, all right, 
and I, I gotta reschedule until you guys get this sorted out and stuff. And I was out. I'm like, nope, not gonna do this today. Not on a Monday. Mm -mm. Man, I got I got so many stories. I'll give a I'll give a quick one and then we'll move on because we got lots of stuff I want to cover here and lots of value for this audience. But sure. when you first when you first said you went into this house and everything was dark and the and the dude was a bit cool, a bit shady. I've been into a few places like that, and I thought you were gonna tell me it was one of those grow houses. We are like where they're growing cannabis in the house. I walk up to some door before you even open the door, you'd be like, Mmm, smells kind of sweet in here. And sometimes yep. the guys would let you in and they'd be like, Hey, look, just don't go in that room. And you'd be like, Yeah, okay, look, I'm nothing to do with me. I'm just going to do my thing. And then, uh, and then some people would be real cagey and wouldn't let you in. And, and I'd just be like, I'm going to move on to the next job. It's not, not, not my job to deal with this. I remember one gentleman's house I went in. Big guy, big Rastaf Rastafarian dude in Birmingham. Chores, yeah, man, had all the dreads, super cool guy, just almost almost horizontal, this guy was that laid back. And uh, I walked in and I did all the job and I went, oh, man, it smells really nice in here. And he was like, yeah, cool, thanks, man. And I just like, just didn't care at all, just not a care in the world, man, super cool dude. But you come across a lot of things like that and then some places you don't feel, uh, some places are cool like that and then some places you don't feel that safe and you just like want to get in and out of there. And I think that, mm -hmm. that, that one that you were on was a bit of a test testament to that <clears throat> so yeah the world of the world of construction it's a fun world to be in but uh yeah definitely like any job you know it can it can test you it can trial you it can um it's uh it's not all rainbows and sunshine that's for sure sure yeah you're right you're definitely right. So let's talk about real estate um asan and how long you've been in been in that game because that's uh that's a that's a great game, and it's um you know you can if you're good at it. I know there's a lot of people in the in the circles that we're in, we're thinking into results training and and power voice. Uh, Barry Overton's really successful oh, yeah. in real estate, and it's actually I only I only learned kind of how it worked recently that you know if you're selling, you get a portion of each sale. So you know the bigger the property you sell in, the the bigger the slice that you're getting. Yeah. Uh, well, with regards to my my real estate business. I do it more on the investment side. Okay. So I'm, I'm not a realtor. Got it. Got open it. disclosure. But I have several realtors that they send me properties. Mm -hmm. And these properties could be, you know, fix and flip. It could be distressed properties, like real, real bad conditions. And then depending on where it is, I run the numbers and see if it's feasible. For me and my partners to, to purchase this and then we'll we'll fix it up and and, and and sell it you know i also do investments wherein i have a couple commercial locations but they're more like a, a assisted living facility so we'll rent that particular business out location so it's generating commercial income and then the other side that I, I do in terms of real estate is for homeowners that are faced with certain situations, like, like recently I had a lady who her sister had cancer. So she had to move out of the house short notice. Now, mm -hmm. based on the market, sometimes it may take, you know, a month, sometimes more, depending on the, the type of house, what needs to be done for it to be listed on the MLS and sold by our realtor. So she got in contact with me through a, a mutual friend. And I said, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll help you out. So I took over the property, took over the, the, the mortgage payments, everything. 
gave her enough money so she could make the transition because she had to move in with her sister who was out of state. And then after that, you know, we sold the property from there. I sometimes even, if the, the, the homeowner has sentimental value in the property and they're going through hardship, there are different ways how we structure the deal so they benefit from it also making the transition. So their real estate is a real, there are so many areas of it, but how we do our, 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 our business structure is we have to help the client at hand one way or the other because good word travels fast. And most of my business on that side has been referrals. I mean, right. I don't do any form of marketing for my real estate business. Most of the times I'll just get a phone call, say, hey, Aysen, um, I know somebody that needs your help. And sometimes I'm able to structure the deal wherein they can even rent the property. So I buy the property and eventually rent it back to them at a later date. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So there are different ways to, to, to make the real estate market you know work yeah. for you. And how do you and how do you feel like how have you seen the effect of what, what happened last year is you know spilling over into this year very much so as well. Um how mm -hmm. how that affected the real estate market, you know, foreclosures, which we should probably explain what foreclosure is, right? I mean you go for it, you're you're better to explain it than than, than what I am. All right, so with regards to foreclosure, if, if if a homeowner defaults on their mortgage payment over a certain time frame, every state has different laws that governs when the house can go in foreclosure, like for Texas and, and, and certain other states, their foreclosure process is a lot shorter. Here in Florida, sometimes it may take a year, depending on how long you haven't paid your mortgage. Oftentimes, if you're in a gated community, there are different types of foreclosures. So if you're in a, a gated community and the association dues are not paid, the association can force the process on you for not paying the dues as well, compared to if you're in a standalone residential in a different zip code. Some cities allow certain guidelines that they have to meet before they can foreclose or the person can get evicted. You know, we also, what I've seen too is some investors, based on the time when they bought the property, sometimes they'll do different, different size deals. And, you know, it's business. You didn't run the numbers properly and you took out a loan to do a fix and flip. And now the guys that you had working on the property didn't finish the work. So now you can't get the job done. And, your loan is at the point now where you have to start making back the payments on it. Now the lender is going to foreclose on you if you can't make the payments. So there are different types of, of foreclosures. But with the market itself and, and what we've seen with COVID and all of that, I mean, I foresee there are millions of people out, out of a job now. Some mortgage companies, they've actually allowed the clients to do a deferment. So they'll give you three months, four months. It depends on who the lender is. Some banks, they're a little bit more lenient. So they'll put that payment to the, the, the end of your mortgage. So if it's a 30-year mortgage, you do 30-year and how many months you didn't pay. And then, you know, they'll incorporate that. So it, it all depends on everyone's um, type of lender that they're dealing with, for say. But it's, it's coming. I foresee a lot of homes are going to be and families are going to be in a, in a tight position 
you know, mm -hmm. hopefully things pick up with the virus. You know, right here in the States, it's, a, it's, it's constantly rising. So we still have to walk around, continue to obey the CDC guidelines. But it's challenging for some families, you know, and I, I try to help as many people out as possible too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's a challenging time for everyone, and you know, if uh, anyone's watching this and going through a challenging time, I send my so my love and my thoughts out to you. It's a challenging time for many people right now, but you know, on the on the on the flip side of that, and it kind of in the same breath that you know, it's it, it is a time for opportunity. You know, there will be a lot of properties um, that that go up for investment. If you're in a position that you want to invest in a property or expand your current portfolio, it's it's perhaps a time that will be a great time to do that. I'd imagine there's going to be a lot of um, properties going at auction and and uh, and uh, uh, cheaper rates than, than what they usually would. Of course, time will only tell um, just how we see that play out. But um, you know, there's always there's always winners and losers in every situation. It's, um, it's just 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 how it is. You know, that's just that's just business. You know, they're they're properties at the end of the day and. Um, you know, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because you kind of, you know, you own a property and you live in it for so many years. And, and I'm just speaking from what I see of other people here. I don't own a property at the moment. Just full disclosure, I'm not, I never have. And, um, I don't know if I ever will. It's, it's a, the way I feel about it is a bit different to how other people feel about it. But um, I think that it's, you only really, yes, okay, you own it. But, you know, it's, if, unless you've actually bought it outright, it's never really yours. It's always really the lender's. And that's uh, it's a, it's a funny thing, really. And you know the way some mortgages go now. Um, I don't know about here, particularly in Australia, but I know from friends in the UK that they just get these huge, huge mortgages that they're realistically probably never going to pay off in their lifetime. And and some people, all they're actually doing is it's not they're buying a liability that they're just going to pass on to their future generations. That is just going to be a debt. Um, and I think people sometimes just you know, and, and it slowed down now a bit, particularly probably with COVID, but the banks were particularly responsible at the time. They just give you these huge loans based on sometimes quite low incomes. And of yeah. course, particularly when people are younger and they don't know how to make the best decisions, they take them. But um, it can it can often end you, if, you know, particularly if you don't have the right advice and people around you to make changes when perhaps your income or circumstances changes. It can leave a lot of people in, in quite hot water. No, you're right. You're right. As a matter of fact, I remember years ago, they they were having issues with lenders qualifying homeowners or first-time homebuyers to get them in a house wherein their income could not suffice the loan. So they were in a variable rate. They got them in at a low rate to start, but it's a variable rate. Eventually, just like how the balloon mortgage would, would work out, the payments at the end now your payment moves from oh you started at 800 and then after a year of being in the property prices the mortgage payment kept going up which is still forcing them out so the regulation now and how they're structuring these 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 loans they have changed it somewhat but a lot of times too even for homeowners a lot of times they don't buy based on what they really need now you know, we're from the islands. Back in Jamaica, sometimes, uh, to be honest with you, everyone wants to say, I have a big house. <laughs> no, this is my house over here. So sometimes nothing is wrong with scaling and, and looking bigger. But 
do it at a pace wherein you can, if something happens, say you purchase a property and it's both partners and something happens to one, you should still be able to keep the payments and, and everything rolling until the other partner gets back up. You know, a lot of times this wasn't the case. So that's why, you know, over time foreclosures kept coming and, and a lot of homes and families were displaced because of it. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I probably want to expand there and probably give a bit more context on like I think it's interesting just to say like how I feel about mortgages and probably a lot of that is, is from where I've seen it not work out for people. Mm -hmm. Um not to say that that's how it goes for everyone. I mean, look at yourself, you've done some great things with property and investing and built quite a good, you know, a solid portfolio over time because you've got the knowledge and you've applied it and no doubt you've had some good people around you to give you some advice. You said you had some partners there and you know when when a series of minds come together on a on a project, um, it, you get often get better results than just one mind working on it. But I I much prefer the idea of buying a piece of land and then building my own property on it, and mm. then yeah, that's 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 the one I like. That's the one I like, and then and then doing that several times, and then perhaps you know I actually want to build a log cabin. It's actually funny. I've got a photo right here, so I'll show. I've had this on. It's right next to my computer, right next to my workstation. This is what my one's going to look like, except it's going to have a wraparound balcony all the way around it. That's been something I've been working towards for a long time. And these are really popular places to live in, but even more um, popular than that, they're popular places for people to go in on holiday in and stay in. And, you know, an Airbnb or something like that can command easily uh, a couple of thousand dollars for a, for a long weekend. So mm -hmm. I think it's a, a cool way of doing it. You know, you buy the land, you buy the property, and then when you're not there, you can, you can rent it out for... Um, considerable amount and um, that's that's the idea I like and that's the idea I'm certainly going to be going with and, and then there's other people who are just happy never to buy and they're happy to rent forever and um, you know a lot of people a big thing here in Australia particularly young people younger people who even see people 30s and their 40s just lots of people living in one place you know and just yeah. being a social like multiple occupancy house um, mm -hmm. I used to have like uh six eight or eight six or ten friends even sometimes and they just lived in a huge mansion in a in a nice part of Caulfield and it was a nice place. It was a mess but it was a nice house. <laughs> that's that's not really the case. I mean I've I've seen that trend with, with home home homeowners being the baby boomers. You know, because when they were, were younger that was a dream to own their own house. With, with, with our millennials, I've seen a lot of them are renters because their job could say, hey, you know what? We're gonna transfer you to, to, to a different state and they have to be mobile. So there's a, a large rental community also. Mm. Buying land is always good. As a matter of fact, it, I think it's a coincidence that you're actually mentioning that because two weeks ago, I was actually speaking to some 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 developers about doing duplexes. And I'm not sure if you guys have that down there in Australia, but a duplex or a quad is like yeah. four different houses to get right. Yeah, so that's a better value for, you know, if you're building. I would recommend to say live on one side and rent out the other sections too. Mm. Well, not everyone yeah, yeah. wants to be a landlord. So. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, no, that, that happens a lot here. Yeah, you see that happen a lot. People buy a block and they buy, you know, they put multiple properties on there, duplexes or a couple of townhouses, live in one and rent the rest out. It's a really smart way of 
paying for your property and keeping that income coming in and then you've got the assets just to sell whenever you want them to mm -hmm. yeah i think it's uh, it's each to their own isn't it you know everyone makes their own choices and chooses their own way and their own path and um i think it's uh that's how it should be but i think um i think millennials are a lot more like i think like travel is the luxury of the millennial generation yeah. that's what everyone wants to do now everyone wants to travel everyone wants to live in different places wants to try different things and that really means unless you for some reason you got a property and you rented it before you went away which is probably a pretty smart thing to do it means you're just going to be renting and you're happy to do that wherever you go um i think that's something that we see play out a lot with millennials whereas other generations it was like okay you get you know you get married when you're young you get the key to the house when you're 21 and then that's you for life and you have one job forever those days are done you know gold watch days are done there's no there's no job security out here anymore that that's just changed massively and now i think people are happy to accept that and know that and and know that yeah like you can travel the world for maybe five ten years before you even think about what you want to do sure. and i think that's yeah and it's a lot cheaper to do that than it, than it used to be as well you're right and um if I could make a recommendation too, and, and to the viewers, one thing that I would recommend is if they're purchasing a house, make sure that they set up a, a, a will and a trust. They both go together, living will and a, and a trust. Because if they don't have that here in the States, if something happens to one partner or, or, or both of them die, whoever owns the property, it goes straight to probate if there is nothing in writing to say this is my will or this is the actions i need everyone to take also a medical power of attorney so if you're in a medical induced coma or something happens medically and you can't make any decisions have something in writing that's very important i mean last year i ran into that situation where clients would call me say hey ace i need your help this is the situation but there was nothing in writing, nothing recorded in the courts or, or nothing. And it makes mm. the job so much more difficult because now you got to get probate attorneys and the whole probate process sometimes takes years, depending on how many, you know, properties that are associated to this one person. You know, we, we've seen it over and over. So that's mm. one of the things. Have something in writing. You know, it's simple. What do you mean by probate? I don't know what that, what that means. Okay, so if someone owns a property and while they own the property, they pass away, but they yep. never had a will to say what happens to the property or who the property should go to in the event that they, they, they pass away. The state will take the property and try to sell the property to pay off whatever debt is owed to the estates or the lenders so say he has a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage on the house the mortgage is still standing it's not paid off and he passes away now the lender wants to collect on their money for them to collect they're going to take ownership of the property because that's the only way they're going to get their money so the state takes it and the state is going to sell all the assets and everything to settle whatever debt that person had while they were still alive. So even if they have kids, it doesn't automatically go to the kids or, or, or anything. He has to have something in writing to say, 
in the event or do a, a, a quick game deed or set it up we're in okay if anything should happen i'm signing off on these documents all these assets get transferred to or you set up an yeah. estate and have an executor to the estate and then the the, the the executor will you know split up and divvy up whatever assets to, to clear the debt so it, it's a big had, thing get a probate, yeah, understand. Um, yeah understand and thanks for clearing clearing that up and i think that's a really important point you've made there you know if you're someone who's watching this and you know you've built up an estate and you've worked hard and built up all these things and these assets perhaps property as well you know You've, you've taken an awful lot of hard work to do that and you probably if you if you haven't protected it going forward then that's going to end up in the hands of the government and i don't know about you but that's the last thing i'd want <laughs> so yeah make sure you get a will make sure you get trust set up um i'm going to make a little side note maybe i need to maybe i need to do that as well just for that you know particularly even if i don't have property but if you've got businesses their assets right you know yeah. if if i was to if anything was to happen to me you know if i didn't have who I wanted them to be left in control of or, or any of the assets within them left control of, then they're just going to get swallowed up by the government. And uh, let's let's be honest, the government takes their fair slice as it is, so we probably don't need to give them any more. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. And we do that We do that even for, for business owners. So say two, two people go into a partnership, I would suggest doing a key-man insurance policy. So if something happens to one of the partners, the policy would pay or buy out the shareholders, you know, section of the, the company, so to speak. So that's another thing too. So if both of you are in business, something happens to one business partner, the business shouldn't collapse. That policy now would inject funds or pay off or buy out your 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 other partner's shares in the company. A lot of times family members get involved to say these two guys been working for 20 years he passed away, they think the family should get a certain per percentage of the business too. Mm. So like having that set up will also alleviate the stress associated with, you know, spitting and, and making decisions at a hard time too. Okay. Yeah, stop, stops it getting messy, right? Because that stuff can get messy and, you know, particularly when money's involved and emotions are involved, you know, emotions are always high when people have passed away and stuff. So, yeah, you want to get it black and white down there on paper and, um, yeah, all legally drawn up. Hassan, we're getting to the end of this episode and I've had a great time with you here. I hope you have as well. I think um, before you before you go, I'd love, I always ask for kind of three tips from people before they go. In fact, no, there's another question I need to ask you first. As a man of not one, not two, but three or four different things going on at the same time, I'd love to know how you define the word hustle. And what drives your hunger for it? As you evidently have a lot of hunger for the hustle. Hustle. <laughs> well, Jake, I would say hustle is a it's a mindset. I would say hustle is a mindset because you have to be mentally tough. You have to win the battle here first, and then you can win it in the physical. Because if you defeat yourself mentally, Fear is one of the biggest things that hold people back. So I'd say hustle definitely is a mindset. And after you have it structured in your mind properly of making a decision, whatever it's going to take, I'm going to get this, regardless of what outside appearances are. 
I mean, I faced a lot in, in, in my, my, my business ventures. And if I wasn't hungry, I, you know, my family would be starving. Everyone would be starving. So it's not just for you, but that hustle mentality is figuring out a way that you're going to get results, regardless of the naysayers, regardless of what's out there, what's happening, or other people who may have failed before you. You can't look at that. You got to focus on your goals, your dreams, your vision for your business or yourself. It could be an individual. And I'm a big believer in writing things down. So I'd say write down what you really want, be clear, focus, and make up your mind to say, it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to get this regardless. And it's funny, I, um, I have here on my desk... <laughs> I'm not sure if you can see this. Yeah, I can see that. That's great. It says no negativity. That's <laughs> yes, no negativity. Yeah, yeah that's the why. Yes, you got to be focused. Put your blinkers on just like a horse, you know, and yeah. don't allow negative to come in, in, in contact and weigh you down with your vision, you know. That's one yeah. of my, my biggest things. You got to be yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm Sorry? No, I'm saying, yeah, make it happen. You make it happen, yeah. And you look, you know, don't have any negativity from within. If you encounter it from without, that's going to happen. You know, that's not everyone's. You know, you're not in control of how other people think, feel, and act. When you encounter it, just just run away from it. <laughs> move <laughs> run away from it. It's probably a bit strong, but just bounce away from it. You know, move away from it. Um, surround yourself with people that don't constantly put out negative energy because they will become emotional vampires in your life. Yes, yes. There's a big saying that's that that says. The tunnel you fear to enter holds the desires of your heart. Mm, love that. That's and a great one. And I say that because I sometimes get fear coming and, 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 and I second guess on things. But I keep saying that over and over. The tunnel you fear to enter holds the desires of your heart. Because you know, and everyone else, the viewers, they know what their de desires are. And oftentimes... And the other side of fear is where your 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 desire and your goal and all what you want is there. You know, yeah. so I'm a strong believer positivity. Yeah, man, me too. Everything you've ever wanted is on right on the other side of fear. It's just mm -hmm. pushing through it, you know, pushing through it and then and then getting it. Man, I've had such a great great time speaking to you. Um, really enjoyed it. I'm gonna put the link to where people can connect with you and your business yes. in the comments here. But do you just want to tell the folks as well, for anyone who's listening back on the audio? Oh, yeah, sure, definitely. I mean, I'm on Instagram as well. It's ASIN underscore excess for excess consultations. And also on my website, there's a contact form on there too if you'd like to get in contact with me. Drop me a line, log on. My website is www.excessconsultations.com. And you can get me anytime. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty responsive. And I'll be happy to help anyone that needs help, whether it's been insurance, uh, real estate, you know, consultation. Just shoot me a message. I'll be happy to talk. Let's have a convo. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for joining me, Asan. And thanks for everyone that's been watching. Shout out to...
Dan on the side. Dan Donners is one of my, he's got, I would say, he's the biggest fan of the show. He's always listening. So thanks, Dan. I appreciate your support. And thanks to everyone, whether you're listening on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, or Spotify. Please show the show some love. If you've enjoyed it, share it with someone else. They might enjoy it too, get some value from it. Stay hungry, folks, and keep hustling. Thank you.